I, I don't eat fruit or veg. None at all? None at all. Like, my, my missus sneaks it into, like, my bolognese's and... Welcome to the Backroom Staff Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Backroom Staff Podcast. This week I am joined by performance nutritionist Ted Munson. I need to unmute you now. <laughs> Hello <laughs> Ted. Right? Yeah, how, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad at all mate, not too bad. Yeah, um, thank you for coming on, thank you for being a support from the start of, of the podcast you you were one of the first followers actually after the first episode was released so thank you for coming on that's been really good like i've enjoyed the one uh with with david scott and from the start and yeah just kind of followed on um there's not really anything out there that looks into yeah the, the backroom staff so i think it's been interesting cheers um so let, let's start with what your role is the little two to three minute elevator pitch of what you do as a sports nutritionist yeah, so, so I'm a, a sport nutritionist or a performance nutritionist, you know, whichever one you want to call it. Uh, and my sort of role in a team or working with an individual is to sort of ha- use nutrition to help them get fitter, faster, stronger, uh, and perform better on the pitch, on the track, um, wherever that may be. But also, there's a huge element of, of my role that works in, in health as well, because that, that has to be a priority when it comes to anyone, whether you're an athlete, or just an everyday athlete, as so to say. Yeah, and I guess it's not usually a role that you'll see when you look on, like you'll still see the sports scientists and the analysts when you look on a website. So what made you take the route of a sports nutritionist? I, I usually ask this question later on when we go on how you got into it, but I think it's quite an important one before we go further forward into it. What made you come out of uni and take nutrition route? I, I didn't have the most conventional route to becoming uh, a nutritionist. And I think at the time when I was um, starting out, like I didn't even know that they really had sports nutritionists in, in professional sport. Really. I, knew, I knew they kind of might have someone, you know, maybe like a day a week or, or if that, um, but certainly at the time there wasn't. So I saw, I did the, the coaching and performance degree at Hall University, which is excellent. The reason why I chose it was because it had that sort of like element of sports science, performance analysts, um, uh, S&C, which I did because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. All, all, all I knew that I wanted to do is I wanted to work with elite athletes in some yeah. sort of aspect of sports science. And I was really lucky when I graduated, kind of just before I graduated, uh, to, to get a, a sports science internship at, at Hull City Football Club. Um, and at the time... They were they were in the Premier League. Uh, they just I think they've just been I was in the second season of the Premier League, and it was just like thrown in the deep end of, of sports science. So at that time, I was working with, with the, the GPS. I was doing uh, helping out in the gym, the pre activation. I was also helping like do all the supplements as well, sort of prepping yeah. the sheds and things like that. And and it kind of came came through that is a lot of the players were asking me things, and we did have a, a nutritionist at the time, a guy called Shane Fellow, who was absolutely excellent it's probably the first time I was like that's a cool job that's kind of what I'd like to learn a little bit more about and kind of attach myself to Shane a little bit and at the time I think he was only in once or twice a month so I yeah. would um, at Hull City I would sort of you know have a couple of meetings with Shane a month and I would help sort of implement those strategies that he was putting into place um, and, and I just I loved it I thought it was great and it wasn't just about sitting there uh, and talking about food and, and hydration and recovery. It was also doing like hydration testing and, you know, taking the player's body fats and, 
using all that data, including the GPS data, to, to implement nutritional strategies so they could perform better on the pitch. And, you know, a lot of them have that sort of like that physical goal and then the performance goal. And I'm really just sort of like lining on that physical goal, whether that be, you know, um, the physical goal they wanted to put on muscle mass because the performance goal was to get stronger as a defender, something like that. And I really sort of found found that role that I wanted to do there. So yeah, I sort of went in, wanted to be an SNC coach, sports scientist, and then found myself specializing quite early. Yeah. And that's determined uh, the masters that I took, which again, I, I did a, a masters in sport and exercise science, which I'll, I'll tell you why I was a bit of a nightmare in a second, but I sort of <laughs> did a, an MRES that I was, it was on tennis players that we looked at. We looked at like hydration, sort of like sodium intake in, in uh, sort of the top 100 tennis players in the, in the, uh, in the country. And I actually published that paper quite recently um, in, in Frontiers of Nutrition. Uh, I'll, okay. I'll send you yeah. links so you can put yeah. on there. It's been really, really good. Uh, but it was sort of a nutrition masters, but then the actual title was uh, was sport and exercise science. So the issue with that is to become a registered nutritionist is is you need sort of the a postgraduate degree in nutrition uh, as well as a bachelor's in sports science. So I had the bachelor's but didn't have the uh, masters in sport and yeah. exercise. So then I then had to do a, a postgraduate diploma on top of my masters for a year, um, which I think is like two modules short of, of an MSc. So I did that in sport and exercise nutrition, did that uh, uh, Leeds Beckett, Louise Sutton, which was just unbelievable. I learned so much, so much there. So yeah, I sort of like kicked myself a little bit. So why didn't I do that like sport and exercise nutrition masters, even though really it was it was kind of the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting two published papers out of, out, out of it in nutrition. But no, it was all good experience. Um, so yeah, so I sort of, Left um, left Hull City after being there for I was there for like two and a bit seasons, and I was yeah completing that postgraduate diploma in, in sport nutrition. But I'd already sort of said like I'm working in sports nutrition now, uh, yeah. and I did get a role at um, Science and Sport as a performance nutritionist, um, and they would sort of like my primary role there was to go out to and, and assist the their sponsored athletes. So at the time they sponsored. USA Cycling, uh, Team Sky, now Ineos and yeah. you know all sorts of different teams and I just got immersed in them and it, it was unbelievable. It was, it was a dream role at the time for the first couple of years there um, helping those guys out. It was just next level from, from what I'd experienced at Hull which I thought was good um, in performance nutrition going out and see what, what the endurance athletes did you know was next level because you know team sports it's a skillful sport I've seen players like world-class players get by with poor nutrition, but when it came to the endurance side, it was like, is everything that they're not going to perform well on the bike. They're not going to perform well on the road if they are not eating, you know, very well. And uh, from there, I I sort of went around a couple of roles. Um, I set up my own company a couple of years ago, uh, a consultancy company where we were working with uh, uh, Birmingham city football club, their first team all the way down through to the academy and the ladies uh, Millwall Football Club as well. Now my primary role is is at Harlequins, uh, working with the first team there, where we've got like you know about twenty five international athletes, yes. and we're having a really good season this year, which which is awesome. Uh, so that all kind of comes under that consultancy role. 
and then uh, I also work with with uh, three sort of uh, international runners and a, and a triathlete as well. So they ultra runner, uh, a marathon runner, and, and a triathlete. Um, ultra runners, the like fifty kilometers. Uh, anything, anything over a marathon, but this guy is. Uh, yeah. This, this guy goes for he does like 100k <laughs> nutcases <laughs> the, the, still, sort, the, sort, the sort of iron men sort of yeah. running I, i'm quite interested in it as well like i do it myself um i ran like quite a few marathons you probably see all my race just, yeah i can uh, just see them in there yeah, yeah. i was gonna ask what they were yeah <laughs> i think it's like 15 marathons like Not races fair. And then and then a couple a couple of ultras got a couple of ultras coming up got one in four weeks as well um called the north downs 50 miler um which is very hilly if you go up box hill after like 50k it's <laughs> a big hill um so yeah I'm, I'm just interested in it and, and i think by immersing myself into the sport you know and something where nutrition is so important it really sort of i think it made me a better practitioner because i understand it i understand like GI issues around taking carbohydrates yeah. during exercise. Whereas I think some people come out of university now and they're just like, you need to eat 60 grams of carbohydrate an hour. It's really not that easy. Um, you want to train your body to do it. And there's different things that work for different people. So I think experience yeah. is really important with it. But but it's, it's you know, I, I fell into nutrition at the right time when there was, I think at the time there was like four or five full-time nutritionists in the Premier League. Now every single... Premier League team has a full-time nutritionist. You know, even the championship, you've got a fair few full-time nutritionists. And, you know, I've worked part-time in there for sort of three or four years now. And all the way down, even in rugby as well, uh, rugby union, we've all got, you know, pretty much full-time nutritionists in the premiership, which is great. But obviously, it's a real, it's a real challenge for new nutritionists coming out of uni at the minute. Um, yeah really difficult to get get the experience um and i, I do feel for for them really because there's not that many jobs there's not that many teams in the country you know and i think all of them think they're going to graduate their msc and they're going to walk into a football team um and it doesn't happen like that unfortunately you've got to really grasp for the experience and get an internship a couple more years of, of unpaired work and then you know even i'm still do some unpaired work it's because I want to work with the best athletes in the world. And I really want to get up there in the endurance side of things. And unfortunately, top level endurance athletes, they're not paid the same as, uh, you know, mid championship footballers. It's very, very different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but it's all interesting. And what I do in endurance sports reflects, I take some of that and put it into working in football and rugby. And I take some of the football and rugby stuff and put it into working in endurance sports. So, yeah, that's kind of long-winded answer to the question. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think it you ended it nicely to come on to the next question of how does nutrition differ from sport to sport? So you mentioned that you've worked with the endurance athletes and rugby teams, rugby players, football players. So how how does that differ? How does your role differ when you work yeah. with them? As is, there's a lot to, to consider there, to be honest. I think a lot of it comes down to the culture of the club um, and the culture of the place, to be honest. Budgets are kind of everything to do with food as well. Who, who, well, who's your chef? Who have you got to work with? Um, so, so it is difficult. Um, I, th I think there are the sort of 
basic elements that, that we have and I'll try and implement um, as like pillars of my job role. Um, and that would be from the top of my head would be, I'd say one pillar or something that's really important is, is working with in body composition. So, you know, measuring body fats using skinful calipers. We take some of the guys into DEXA scans and things like that, because, you know, quite often clubs, um, you know, this is probably the team side of things. will we'll have an athlete that has a body composition issue, whether that not, not necessarily an issue, but they might want to drop body fat. They might want to increase muscle mass. Some of them might want to stay the same. And then we put in uh, dietary practices to, to try and enhance that so that they can then take that onto the pitch and perform better or, or even recover better. So the, that aspect of it, so body composition is a main part. I think there's a big, um, a big part of what I do and what I was doing today, for, for example, at Harlequins uh, is education because you know these athletes are and probably difference between the rugby and the football i'd say rugby athletes uh, so certainly rugby union uh, a lot of them have come from you know private schools and uh, half the squad have been to university they, they are definitely a lot more educated in sports nutrition and sports science in general that i found i think we've got a couple of players at harlequins that are studying sports science and yeah. and have from a level up to up to university level, which is actually really good. You have some great conversations. You can have a lot of high level conversations. Yeah. Um, whereas in football, that's not the case. Um, in 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 most cases, so education is key, and depending on how, what level you hit that is is dependent on the squad that you've got to work with. You know, have they had another nutritionist before? What are they used to doing? Are they all the same? Like at, at rugby, we really split up. We split up the squad. Yeah, I'd imagine so with the forwards and the backs, at least. Yeah, we have some forwards that are up to, you know, 137 kilos. They, they need a lot of different information compared to some of the nines and tens that are, you know, just over 80. Manage them completely differently. They receive completely different food. Like we use a, because of COVID, the kitchens have been shut. So we use like a meal prep company called Tweet that are really good. And what we'll sort of like have... Um, sort of split the squad up and have different size meals, different calorie requirements. And to be honest, that's actually really helped the education side of things as well. Yeah. So they start to think like, why do I need that much? Uh, I'd usually have that much. It's like, okay, well, you know, you weigh 30 kilos more than him. Your rested metabolic rate is a whole lot higher, four or 500 calories a day higher, plus just doing general activities. Uh, rugby, you'll burn an extra two, three hundred calories in a training session. At the end of the day, that puts your calorie requirements up by, you know, thirteen, fourteen hundred. So they need larger meals, uh, things like that. So yeah, there's definitely the body composition. There's the education, and I think there's just actual getting involved really with the practical side of things. So I don't have any issue, you know, still getting out there, making protein shakes, getting the waters out there. Um, being there on match day uh, at half time, pre match, setting up, setting everything up. Because that's when the best conversations happen. And I think when you usually work in part time like me, it is about having conversations with players. That's the best thing to do. You, you could sit yeah. in front of them and, and, you know, show them a presentation about carbohydrate periodization, which they receive every week. But really, actually talking to them and, and think and taking in those sort of individual situations like who do they live with do they live by themselves uh, uh, is there have, is they live with their missus you know is their new 
puppy keeping them up all night. It, it happens. And some, I think some people really let that kind of slip and just see them as a player that is yeah. X amount of kilos who needs that. And I think, yeah, that, that is a challenge for some part-time practitioners who are only in there, only in there a day a week because it's difficult to get to know someone like that. So, yeah, I, I'd say that that's a sort of huge part of, of my role. Um, and then obviously there's dealing with stakeholders, the, the supplementation side, you know, is, is huge. Um, in, in all sports, I think, you know, we always have a food-first approach and we'd always put, you know, what they eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and the snacks in between. That's always the number one we talk about. And then it's just how can we use supplements to supplement the diet? But certainly in the endurance side, supplements play a, a much larger role uh, compared to um, team sports when, you know, it's coming down to how much activity they do at the end of the day. Um, rugby, a football player, they, they might train an hour and a half, potentially two hours a day when it comes to an endurance athlete. It's getting up towards five hours a day. It's, yeah. it's really and yeah so so that's, that's kind of a broad broad section of my, my role as a nutritionist just to go back i think you said beforehand you wanted to touch on it maybe a bit more is the difference in the intake for an endurance athlete and sprinter for example yeah, yeah i mean it's 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 a good it's something that i think there's certain like really good crossovers and i think there's some things that an endurance athlete could learn from like a team sport athlete, for example, someone who's doing repeated sprints and there's, there's vice versa as well. Certainly from my experience as an endurance athlete and working with endurance athletes, sorry, is, is the differences in, in carbohydrate intake. You know, it is, it is ramped up um, on a daily basis, very, very high. So you, yeah. you're looking at someone who's, who's undergoing, let's say 110 mile week, a running week, and which is pretty standard to be honest like in, in, in a block of moderate to heavy training for an endurance athlete, you know, trying to get in over seven grams uh, per kilo of carbohydrate uh, per day. Whereas, you know, a, a team sport athlete would probably be terrified when they do. <laughs> um, there's a couple of reasons for that. I, I think the majority of data out there that has looked into carbohydrate intake uh, in even young team sport athletes and, and sort of senior team sport has shown that, you know, carbs are still seen as like the devil a little bit and um, they are under consuming based on the guidelines that are set. Um, and they're usually compared to the, um, uh, the ACSM guidelines. F from my experience, we, we do see like a good carbohydrate intake the day before a game. So everybody knows carbohydrate loading, which is great. We see it on the day of a game as well. But I think there are a lot of instances in team sports when tra a training day is seen as like a low carb day. Mm. Um, and when it comes to an off day, we almost see carbohydrate and calorie intake jump up because it's an off day and it's like, hang on. So that doesn't really make sense really because we're training on this day, but we're going low carbohydrate because it's an off day. You're going really high carbohydrate because you're having, you know, a Waggers and a Nando's. That doesn't really make sense when it comes down yeah. to period. And a big thing of what I do is trying to, and in terms of performance nutrition, is trying to periodize an athlete's uh, week. So it would be looking at, and it, you really usually it starts with carbohydrate intake, and then calories generally fall into that place in, in, into into sync with that carbohydrate intake, 
and then protein canister is fairly similar. So for example, if we had, let's use our week. So Monday um, on rugby would usually be like a, a moderate day. So we might have like a sort of like four grams per kilo of carbs. Tuesday's very heavy contact day. Uh, you know, in rugby, we see that contacts increased, increased uh, resting metabolic rates on the day of and the day after the game. Uh, so and the day after a contact, sorry. So that could increase by like up to 500 calories, particularly. Yeah. So we might see like up to sort of six to seven grams per kilo of carb on the Tuesday. Wednesday is a day off. If it's a day off, we don't need to load with carbohydrates because we're not performing. So it might drop down to sort of two to three grams per kilo. And then we sort of build up higher and higher towards that game. Um, and we've got high. that, that to me is ideal. And, and it, it sort of, will help body composition because we're going sort of slightly lower on those off days. Um, whereas previously I saw them going higher and they were coming in. It's like, why am I gaining body fat? It was actually because you've, you've maintained on certain days, but then on off days, you've gone over by a thousand, thousand and a half calories over time. That's going to give increases in body fat. Yeah. So yeah, periodization is really important. That's one thing I've seen from the endurance side is that it kind of happens, um, fairly fairly naturally uh, the periodization because they periodize their training so strictly that they are i mean certainly the ones that i've dealt with in the past like it's it's to the t it's it's playing it planning out a meal by meal the struggle is not like the, the struggle for them is is can they take on as much as possible uh, well not as much as possible of carbohydrates but it's a struggle to get that high certainly yeah if they're training for four or five hours in a day that limits the time that they've got for eating. Yeah. Uh, you've got an athlete that struggles with GI issues, has to eat, you know, leave it 60 to 90 minutes before um, their training session. That that can have problems because uh, you've got to try and fit four to five different meals throughout that day. Uh, and that's when, you know, supplements come into place when we start to use things like energy drinks, gels, protein shakes to try and, try and get that in. So, yeah, it, it is a challenge. You know, and I think... From an endurance side, there is the whole sort of um, argument of people going keto, which is trying to sort of go low carb, um, really low carbohydrate and a high fat, high protein diet to try and enhance the way the body burns fat as a fuel. And, and in short, the general science behind that is that we sort of have almost, you know, tens of thousands of hours worth of energy stored in our body as fat. Um, but it's a little bit of a slow burner. Can't yeah. really give us that high intensity work. So you can understand the theory behind it as an endurance athlete. And I think there's always an element of how many carbs we burn, how much fat we burn. And as an endurance athlete, particularly an ultra endurance athlete, you obviously want them to burn a higher percentage of, of, of fat as a fuel source because we want them to go on for longer. But yeah. what we want is, you know, when they hit a climb or they hit that final sprint, you know, that, that shift between fat and carbohydrate comes up a bit. And if you train too much sort of on a low carbohydrate diet, our body doesn't want us to do that. It doesn't want us to use that carbohydrate as a fuel source. Whereas on the flip side, if we do too much carbohydrate all the time and no fasted training or no low carbohydrate days, then our body becomes a little bit too carbohydrate reliant, doesn't know how to use much of uh, fat as a fuel source. And then that can cause um, sort of in some endurance athletes to burn out towards the end of the race because their fuel stores have depleted so much. So it is quite tough to get 
in uh, in endurance athletes. But we do things like fat max testing and and all sorts of different ways to try and uh, sort of measure what kind of fuels a uh, an endurance athlete uses. But not so much in a, in a in a team sport environment because they're repeated sprint sport athletes. Um, they are burning carbohydrate as a fuel source, and we don't want them to be burning fat as a fuel source, really. Yeah. Um, there might be some aspects of, of sort of fasted training, but more from just a, just a drop body fat, if that would be their goal. But we, we want them to try and sort of take on a little bit more carbohydrate. But I still see it, like you still see it um, sometimes, players coming to, oh, I'm, I'm going no carbohydrate today. Um, and I sort of said to them, okay, so how many grams of car, how many, um, how many calories are in a gram of carbohydrate? And I say it's four calories. And so how many grams of, um, so how many calories are in a gram of protein? It's four calories. But then in a gram of fat, you've got nine calories. So when it comes down to, you see some of them like having like steak for dinner and it's like, oh, you've probably got more calories in that. You can still get the carbohydrates in there. Um, yeah. because of the intake you know, calories are calories and you can still be on uh, a keto diet or a low carbohydrate diet and still overconsume calories. That, that kind of, from a performance aspect, needs to be quashed a little bit and, and we need to be promoting carbohydrate as a fuel source for performance. Yeah, I think what you've covered there is something which I've been guilty of. Definitely the kind of the faster training when I'm doing explosive gym training, when I'm doing mm. kind of power lifts and stuff yeah. like that. Does it a does it help you perform doing fasting, or does it just burn you out and make you feel? Probably, probably just burns me out because I do it at like half eight in the morning is when I'm going to the gym before yeah. work. Definitely the kind of on my rest days is when I've then loaded up on carbs, mm. that sort of thing, or just the night before I'll have a lot of carbs before a game day sort of thing. Yeah, you've got to find that balance. Like we say it to the young athletes, is that like. If you're gonna have a McDonald's, you're gonna have a Nando's. Like I have no issue with with players having that if that's their thing. But when's the best time to have it? And it's like have it on a Tuesday when you've expended a lot of calories and you've you know you've you've had a high contact day. It's the best time to have it because your body's gonna probably use those calories a little bit more effectively than rather than on, on an off day when you're just putting your feet up all day and over consuming the calories. It's picking the right day for it. If you're going to have a treat, you know, have it on the night of a game day, um, yeah. you know, because your body's going to, you have expended more calories on that day. And sometimes it's about, you could take someone's diet, not really change what's in it, but rearrange it throughout the days. And it just have a completely different effect on performance and the way somebody feels. Um, distribution of macros is, is, is important. Um, just like the total amount of, of, of calories and macronutrients is as well. Yeah, that's that. That's really interesting. Just the changing of the order can make a difference, um, I think, and, I guess, yeah. and I guess it makes sense. Like if you have one meal before training, it'll be different to having that meal after training. I guess is the simple yeah, answer to it. Yeah. You've fasted and, and things like you. You gotta think there's like if you're doing something low intensity, like if you're going to the gym, just doing like a low intensity cycle, maybe a bit of a jog, some some light weights. Doing that fasted is fine because you're not, you know, you don't necessarily need, you're not going to be burning like, too many carbohydrates or, or anything like that. But if you are doing that like, powerlifting, you know, you've got to think about like 
the pathways as well, switching on mTOR and your muscle build build pathway, it doesn't really, um, you know, if you're fasted, it's not really going to happen um, because your body's not really going to be burning the right fuel source for you to get the gains for it. Um, so there's all sorts of different reasons like that as well. Yeah, and we didn't really touch on it there, but I guess it's also the different people would also be, at the moment, it's Ramadan. So mm. how, how did those sort of, um, factors affect your role as well yeah it's um it's a challenge to be honest because it's almost like, i think with nutrition i learned this fairly recently you can like you can never get it right you can never get food right you you serve something on a plate eight of the players are like it two of them won't you know just never make everyone happy uh, but also everybody has their own opinions and and there is it's a nightmare sports i think sports nutrition is probably the worst for social media influencers um, who aren't qualified posting, you know, this is what I eat in a day. And then people start copying it because they think they're going to look like that person or, you know, half of them are sponsored. You know, you look at things like game changers, which was what, like a year and a half ago now? Yeah, I remember, yeah, when when I watched it, I kind of told everyone at work to watch it sort of thing as as well and be like, this is is eye-opening, but then... It was where's the other side of that argument? Exactly, and you actually looked at the um, the sponsors behind yeah. those program, and you're thinking, oh, "Hang on, there maybe is another side to this story." Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of you know, after working with some athletes for years, they watch a one-hour documentary and all of a sudden change their lifestyle and change their dietary habits. And you know, I, I, to be honest, the majority of people that did that and and turned vegan off that aren't vegan anymore (laughs) but from my perspective i'm sure some people have uh, but certainly the people that i was working with but but on the flip side i I know some people that do it um really well you know there was there's a millwall player that i worked with um who starts every game one of the best players in 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 the championship and he was vegan did it really well but he really did work hard on on that to make sure that he could uh that he was getting at least sort of like 1.6 to 2 grams uh, per kilo of protein uh, based on his body mass that that was really important and something that he wasn't doing at the start and needed help to get that he needed better vegan protein ideas um you know that there was some parts in that documentary that were saying that you know you'll drop body fat when it comes to uh when it comes to going going vegan from my experience it didn't do that if anything it it increased body fat because the amount of (laughs) <laughs> the amount of calories that you had to that certainly from an athletic perspective that they had to gain to to get those protein requirements obviously vegan protein has got a lot of other things in it as well it's got yeah. a lot of carbohydrates in it it's got a lot of fats and the calories were actually probably going a little bit too high for that for that individual player but I have seen people do it well i've seen people do it not so well the main thing is, is to just seek proper advice on it like we have the sport and exercise nutrition register you know to be an SCNR practitioner, you've got to have proven that you have uh, a bachelor's, a master's, and or uh, a postgraduate diploma in, in sports nutrition. And then you then come under the BDA, the British Dietetics Association, um, to show that you're a practitioner and, and you know what you're doing. It's like, if you're going to go to someone for advice or follow someone on Instagram for nutrition advice, just make sure they've got that on the end of the yeah. name. SCNR is really important. Don't go to you know, some old Geordie Shaw actor, you know, and, and start thinking, oh, I'm going to buy that product. People waste money on it. Yeah. 
products that, that don't mean anything there's not many supplements that that do work or or, or even just to uh to your facebook friend who's posting about the little thing that you need to get involved in after they did yeah, it for i drop it for it i still get them all the time obviously <laughs> on my facebook it's like do you yeah. want to join do you want to join my like weight watchers and i'm a bit offended by it i'm not thinking <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that and yeah i think it's, it's just seek the right advice to, to make sure you make an informed decision because nutrition is is so like it, it can damage people if they don't if they don't do it properly um you know it can really cause harm to the body if if you don't if, if you are looking at making a change you've got to make the right change you want to make it steady dropping down to a thousand calorie deficit is not gonna is not gonna help you lose weight sustainably but when you look at um a lot of you know, not all, but some PTs that put things on and diet plans and they're selling them. When you look at the back end of it, it's like, wow, that's, that's not going to be good for the body. Um, and there are better ways to do it that are more individualized. And that's kind of how, how I try and do things. But yeah, like you mentioned about Ramadan, which, which we're in right now, is it's just another challenge that we go through. And I've worked with, I haven't worked with a huge amount of, of players that, that, that um, undertake Ramadan, but <clears throat> it's always been hard. I did work with a, an Egyptian international athlete who um, who undertook it, and you know, it, it was it was hard for him because he was he was nineteen, he was still growing, he was still trying to get into first team football, he was still trying to make that step up. And I've I've heard of some players that you know will you know not fast on match days and things like that because you know it's their job and it could be potentially dangerous. Um, and I've had, you know, some that won't do that. And firstly, it's just talking to the player and, and seeing, you know, how do they want to do it? And, you know, whatever decision they, they make, we roll with it and we make it as safe as possible. And we put a plan into place. And whether that be that they've got to wake up very early in the morning and, and take on a breakfast on certain days because they know that they've got um, a double day coming up. Yeah, I think um, I remember one football game at one point, they paused it when it got dark and let the players doing yeah. Ramadan go off and just take a kind of uh, one of the sachets, the Luxir energy sachets yeah. sort of thing. I don't think they do that over here anymore. I would like to see that. Where where was that? I can't remember. It was a few years ago now. But um I remember yeah. I remember witnessing it and being like, what's going on? And then someone said, Oh, it's because of this. Yeah. Sort of thing. That's cool. I haven't actually haven't seen that before. So so, I mean, it'd be a great idea. It'd be something that, that you know, all, all teams should put into place, um, especially if, if they've got a couple of players that are doing it. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. And, and certainly with that player, the, the aim for him, the one that I was working with, was to just try not to drop body mass because he was in the process of trying to gain muscle mass to, to match the demands of, of first-team uh, football in, in the SPL. And yeah, it was a challenge, but we did it and we managed to get, and it's inevitable that he's going to be in a deficit, but that certain player decided to, to you know, on match days, he was going to drink fluids normally, uh, especially yeah. because it was, it was warm at the time. And when we've done, when we did some sort of hydration data, some body weight data, like he was losing a lot and it could have got dangerous. And yeah. it was this is decision that he made uh, from a health perspective, but you know, each to their own um, of, of how they want to do it. But it, no, it, is, it is interesting. It's just another challenge that, that we've got to sort of deal with. And there's no right or wrong. There's no like one size fits all. I see some infographics go on Instagram and it's like, yeah, I agree with points one, three and five, but actually for this player, 
that wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Um, it's just about sitting down one-to-ones, understanding the player's background, what they want to achieve out of something and, and putting a plan into place with it. Yeah, and I think you've said previously, like everything's about the communication that you have with the athlete. Um, so I'm kind of going on, let, let's say I'm the professional athlete. Uh, we've slightly discussed this before we started and I don't eat fruit or veg. Now you've come to me and said, look, you need to, but I'd be quite difficult about that. So how do you go through that sort of challenge? Yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. I think a lot of my job is that I think a lot of players and, and athletes, they know what they need to do. It's about me trying to make them do it and put things into place to, to, to make them do what I'm telling them to do. Because I, I, I don't think universities prepare students for this well. It's, it's behaviour change. What we want to do is we want to make people change their behaviours. Yeah. Me just saying to you, I'm a nutritionist, you've got to eat five, five pieces of fruit and veg a day. It's not going to make you do it. But it's understanding the reasons like, why don't you do it? Okay, you don't like fruit and veg. Okay, you don't like the taste of it. Uh, But is there any fruit and veg that you do like at all? So for me, personally, it's it's, it's always weird when I've explained this. It's the texture. Okay. So every time like I go to, I kind of retch a little when I've Mm -hmm. tried to. But what what I have been able to do is kind of, blend up a banana into a smoothie, into a protein smoothie sort of thing, or chop the carrots and onions really, really fine, get them mm-hmm. in my bolognese. That's how I've, been, how I've got around it. Um, so that's a good start. So that's, you just told me two things right there, what you can do, what you've done before. So it would be looking at that and it'd be trying to make that, you know, lots of variety in there and actually trying to explore any new fruits or vegetables yeah that you might not have tried before. Have you ever had Have you ever had passion fruit? I haven't ever had passion fruit. To be fair, that's a really bad example because it's a weird texture from what I know from that one. But that would be an example of like trying, trying to get some new things, sitting down yeah. with play, going to the shop with them, seeing if we can try some new things. But if it really didn't budge, there's all sorts of other things we could do. You know, there's things that I've put into place in the past with a young player where we actually get a more senior player to come and have a chat with them who under, who um, sort of had a similar issue when they were a younger player. So say if you had a player that was struggling with their, um, their body composition, they had to drop body fat for whatever reason or yeah. they wanted to drop body fat, but we're struggling with it, maybe struggling with motivation. We might bring a senior player who's maybe played international, who's gone through the same thing. And actually, I wouldn't need to do anything. I'll just, I'll just let him talk, talk, talk his way through it. Um, and say, uh, what did he do? And actually, that can be that makes the young player think, right? If I do this, I could be like him. I could be earning X amount of money every, every year. I, I can play international football or rugby because he had the same issue as me. Um, yeah. There's that. That 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 is a form of of where you know modelling, you know. And and there are some good ways and some bad ways. It is about assessing how that person likes to learn a little bit. Do they want to be told what to do? Um, do they want more flexibility? Do you need to be a little bit nicer than and give them a little bit more assistance? Or is it, do they just need to be left alone to do it? Do they need to track their food and send it through to me? Um, do I sort of like jump on on the spot and, and think and say to them, you know, mate, 
I want you to track all your food today and we're gonna, I'm gonna do a dietary analysis on it. And I'm gonna show you what it is tomorrow and where we're at. It could be using data with it. So if we manage to get a player who is, you know, they might have increased muscle mass and they actually get better lifts in than the gym. Just use that and, you know, put, put your arm around them and say, look, look at this. This is because of what you've done, not because you've increased your protein intake. It could even be like a, but for your perspective, like, do I think you would feel better if you had, you know, five or seven portions, portions of fruit and veg a day? I think you probably would feel better. Yeah. Because uh, there's probably some deficiencies going on. Um, we don't know unless do a blood test, but that could be something that we do that might give yeah. you like, yeah. okay, like I need to crack on this. I need to find some better ways of doing it. So there's all sorts of different ways that we can, we can do to promote behavior change. I often use like the behavior change wheel which just has all the sort of, um, you know, different ways that we can approach things. And I won't go into it in depth, but just Google like, the behavior change wheel. You can use it in so many different ways and and the, and the combi model and things like that. And you can use it as an S&C coach. You can use it if you're working as a PT, working with a client. It's just like, before you try and tell someone to do something, like assess what, what they're like and see if you can put some different things into, into place to make them do what you're trying to say, uh, tell them to do. But yeah, I, I think people need to focus on that. I've, I've tried to put a fair bit of research into behavior change uh, yeah. in, in the past because I like to think I, I know what I want them to do, but how do I yeah. make them? Yeah, and I, I guess that's similar to what I think a few of the other practitioners that we've had on have said is it's all about knowing the person that you're talking to and approaching it in different ways for each person. That that's That's been great. I think we've covered everything from a top from kind of that top level that we could um i guess my next question is where do you see your future yeah it's a good question <laughs> it's a tough one really um especially with with covid i think i've been really lucky throughout the sort of pandemic um working with the teams that i have have really looked after me and, and seen seen value in me as well i think long covid is a thing in professional athletes and something that i've been working at on at the minute with a couple of different players uh and, and endurance athletes and yeah there i didn't, is even, a, didn't even ask how uh, covid has affected kind of it's been interesting um briefly like it's it's been a blessing in some ways that i think it's it's helped educate athletes and to cook more for themselves um for me like doing a whole lot more like zoom cooking sessions is so much easier than going getting everyone together into the in the club to do it when we can just yeah. do it up zoom and everyone has a good time like i would never have done that before i was spending a lot of money on getting a chef in and time in the evenings you know clearing up you know when the lads have just made a messy fajita <laughs> in his, let's do let's do this at home it's a whole lot easier but I think personally and, and business related, yeah, clubs have looked after us and, and seen value in, in what we do and how we can help. And that's sort of really showing now in, in the results that are coming over um, and, and, and coming out in comparison to other clubs. But I think for me, like I, I really like, I enjoy working with individual athletes. Um, I, I only work on uh, individual endurance athletes, sorry. I only work on a one-to-one basis. Like, I, I don't think I have maybe looked at, you know, sort of ways that I could try and support more athletes. 
potentially on like a lower level basis, but I just don't think that's me. I, I like working, you know, daily with athletes and, and getting to know them because I think I can do a better job and I can help those athletes win gold medals. Um, yeah. That's the plan for me. From, from a team perspective, I love working in rugby. So I only really just started, you know, just over two years ago. I've really enjoyed just the the variety in in physical and the different players that we've got is just like next level really um in in terms of and it's such a challenge and i've learned so much uh, about, about rugby i'd like to stay uh, but yeah. you know i think always like my passion is going to be in football started out there like i'm really comfortable with it but i know and i definitely like to see how i could take that to, to the next level but there's also things i've been looking at um you know motorsport is, is really interesting and yeah, sort of, motorsport is something which yeah. I'm really interested in due to kind of they have to have so much fitness and they're driving around and they burn so many calories just from the 54 laps sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and I think that would give me an element of, and I, I have sort of dabbled in it a little bit, which is why I'm saying, um, but yeah, it, just for that one-to-one basis and just something a little bit new, and yeah, I'd, I'd like to give that a go. But to be honest, like <clears throat> I'm really happy. I'm really lucky of what I've done and the people I get to work with as well like, is, is awesome. Some of the players that I get to work with uh, are next time. I learn a lot from them. I learn a lot about myself and how to deal with those players. So yeah, hopefully there's a little bit more of this and try and win some trophies. I think yeah. that'll be good. Yeah, yeah, I was expecting, a because you mentioned your... Um, your master's dissertation was within tennis players that maybe you'd be looking, you would have mentioned that as the yeah, individual I, sport to look I, at. I, I would love, that would probably, I, yeah, I'm sorry I left that, that would be the dream. I have worked with a tennis player um, who's at Wimbledon back when the last Wimbledon was on, which was ages ago. Yeah. Like, what was it, 2019 now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was good. And that was into a young player, which was great. And yeah, tennis is... Oh, I, I love I love tennis, so that would be cool. But again, I see it as like that kind of slots in my, my individual yeah. sort of endurance athlete side of things. Yeah, I, I think a little bit more of the same, uh, and just try and develop myself as a practitioner. And uh, yeah, hopefully, it's just uh, keep on going. Yeah, and good luck to you for Dan. I wish wish you well in hopefully training up one of these athletes, the endurance athletes, into getting the medals and being able to kind of and I think it, it comes across how proud you'd be of your work when if you did that but on to the questions which are, I think are going to be quite interesting to see how you're going to answer the the fun questions at the end so um yeah. what what's uh me about this this is, this is what, what, what's your go-to cheat meal go-to cheat meal oh god um I mean, there, there's so many, isn't there? I think if I'm going to say, I could give you, I really like, I mean, you can't go wrong with Bernando's. I live in the worst place for it. There's so many, like literally <laughs> across the yeah, world. I say, I say that I live in the worst place because there's not many options for me where I am now. So it's literally kind of Domino's or an Indian Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying for me, a general cheat meal will be Nando's, but to be honest, like a proper cheat meal, um, when I've like 
like the other day, I did like a 32K run, yeah. which was hard. It was hilly and it was practicing for the North Downs way. And I think I'd burnt like that. At the end of that day, I was at like five and a half thousand calories and I had a KFC and it was absolutely excellent. Because yeah. I, I had five and a half thousand calories washed down. You dropped like three KFCs. <laughs> uh, yeah, that made me feel better about it. But again, yeah. it, it comes to that like, you know, you fuel for the work that you do. And I needed to, and I wanted to, you know, I felt like I needed it. I couldn't be bothered to cook. My legs were killing me. Um, <laughs> I spent the calories for it. But I mean, I don't do that on off days. I try to practice what I preach yeah. as much as possible. And uh, so if you ever do get one, what what's your go-to pizza topping? Pizza topping? Uh, oh, God. Well, I'm, I'm pretty boring, but I go for like a barbecue chicken. Fair. Um, with like a barbecue base and that's controversial I know I know it's controversial but it's not as controversial as pineapple oh yeah I don't do that I've got, <laughs> I've got, you've, got you've got morals and standards <laughs> I have an Italian friend that would honestly um, <laughs> very angry about that um, <laughs> and finally Marmite love it or hate it hate it can't do it yeah, there we go <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for them ones. I, uh, yeah, I didn't tell you about that one because it's always better that you're not prepared for them. But yeah, thank, thank you for that, Ted. It's been great. And it's opened my eyes and made me think about my nutrition a bit, um, especially with mainly the carb intake, probably more than the not eating fruit and veg. But I'm sure at some point I can... I'm, I'm getting told I'm getting better. So Good, good. Awesome. Yeah, cheers. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. What an insightful episode. Thanks again to Ted for lending me his time to discuss his role as a performance nutritionist. Ted has worked in such a wide range of sports and I really enjoyed hearing about his approach and what took him down the nutritionist path. As I mentioned, I learned a lot from it personally, be that with how I diet around my training or how I can solve some of the difficulties I mentioned I have with my overall nutrition. Hopefully there's some takeaways for you as well and not just me. Away from this episode, this is going to be the last episode for a while as I have some things that are going to keep me busy over the next couple of months. The podcast will still be active on its social media platforms and I hope to be able to come back to it with guests from even more sports, roles and with a variety of different experiences. And on that, This has been the Backroom Staff Podcast. I bid you farewell for now and thank you for listening. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast on your chosen podcast player or you can keep up to date with the latest podcast releases by following the Backroom Staff Podcast on Twitter and Instagram using the following handle, BKRM Staff.